Hello, hello, hello. It is me, it is me, your true hill phenom, SP3, back once again on the Sports Keto Wrestling YouTube channel with the legendary Dutch Mantel. How are you doing, Dutch? <clears throat> well, I wish we could have done this on, at that regular time. <clears throat> now I'm missing the uh, my favorite show on HBO. It's about... Uh, the medieval people. I even forgot the name of that. But House, the House of Dragons. House of Dragons. It is pretty good. I was a big, uh, I was a big fan of it. Of Game of Thrones. The other one took them a year to come back, but it's like wrestling. You know, it's once you like it, you'll always like it if presented to you in a reasonable, halfway believable fashion. And that's now a perfect. You said, oh, you believe House of Dragons? You believe that? You, in, but in the way they tell it? Yes, I can believe it. And so I suspend disbelief for one hour, and it works. And that's and I the... think if more people did that with wrestling, better off we'd be. Very true. And that's I, a perfect think... segue to talk about a person that does make a lot of people suspend their uh, disbelief when it comes to professional wrestling, and that is Bray Wyatt. He returned to WWE. He was the ultimate reveal of the White Rabbit mystery that has been creating a whole bunch of buzz, beginning increased viewership for SmackDown, and Bray Wyatt revealed himself in one of the most well-done, well-produced returns that WWE has done this decade, let alone this year. But Dutch Mantel, I know you are someone that have had your criticisms of Bray Wyatt in the past. What is your, what did you view the return in itself? And what do you view what's going to happen following up? The return was spectacular. But let's put that in its proper context. They've had six weeks to prepare this. So it's like making a mini movie. Well, not quite, but still and they promoted him for six weeks five weeks anyway so the people were ready for it so when they saw that in philly all of a sudden they knew he was coming yeah they're going to get up and they're going to yell and they're going to chair but that's not the test of bray wyatt and the fiend and i have a lot of questions about it i think how do you book this guy if he is a supernatural being, you're going to put him with a, I mean, just a regular guy. The way I would book him, I would, I would use that old Hulk Hogan formula. Only use him on TV for big things. Actually, for him, in-ring appearance. You can do his other stuff all the time. Because you remember when Hulk was coming along? You never saw him on TV. If it meant something, yeah, you saw him on TV, so he, he wouldn't have great ratings. And I'm still not, I am sold on the Triple H creative, I mean, with him being ahead of creative. But Bray Wyatt is a, a tricky situation. And the fans love him. You can almost do anything with him except kill him. You can't kill him anyway. But I'm just I'm just worried about how they're going to use him going forward. Remember, I had the same I had the same concerns about Cody Rhodes going forward. Then he got hurt, but it looked like they were following, getting him over, 
And I think if he hadn't have gotten hurt, I think, yeah, he, he'd be over. Because guys can get over if creative don't do something this one week and then leave them off three weeks. And then come back and put them back on and then leave them off or not, not maintenance the talent. See, a lot of talent, they get introduced and not no maintenance done with them on the, on the weeks they're off. And kind of people kind of forget about it. Yeah, and the Bray Wyatt thing, it remains to be seen how he is going to get over. But let's put ourselves in the, in the spot of creative. What's his first match? Who are they going to work him with? Remember we talked about how shallow the bench was? It's still just as shallow. Now, who they, who they he has he has more matches, more options because he's been gone for so long. I would think that you know, following up from him coming out after the fight pit at WWE Extreme Rules and making his return at the end of the show, the last person that we saw on camera before his return was Matt Riddle. If they want to go in the direction of him being a heel, Matt Riddle's a good guy for him to go go against. If they want to go the route of him as a baby face, I think that would be an interesting route to go with with Seth Rollins, where with, Seth with, Rollins and him have that history, and that fits in what The Fiend was doing before, and Bray Wyatt can so, fit that in in his new character. So what is he coming back as? What would you say? The Fiend? I would say, based on that reaction, that monster reaction he got in Philly, they should... Keep him, I would keep him neutral where he can attack anybody. I would just make him that type of guy. Yeah, but he will always be the baby face kind of. You think so? They like him. You heard the pop, right? Yeah. I mean, were you there? Did you go? No. Well, I was just watching it and the crowd just erupted. Of course, this is after six weeks of promo time and people waiting for him. Oh, here he is. Yeah, I'm going to get up too. But but it remains to be seen how creative handles this. And I'm going to say, if they screw this up, I mean, they could screw anything up. This is almost tailor-made not to be screwed up. But, and even Triple, I don't think it will be. I think Triple H's regime is a lot different than Vince's. And I think this will go well. But it remains to be seen. I, I'm, I'm interested in seeing where they go with it. But I did like the the introduction. Classic. Classic introduction. And kind of made your hair stand up on the back of your neck a little bit. And that's that's how you connect with fans because your hair doesn't stand up for no reason. <laughs> I mean, if you're walking down the street and you see a Dunkin' Donuts, well, the hair doesn't stand up on the back of your neck. But if you go down the street and you see The Fiend, yeah, well, that, that's a different story. So I like it, but still I'm not completely sold on, on how he's going to get over. I think he will. But even if he doesn't, look at all the merchandise sales that guy's going to have. It's going to be through the roof. So I'd like to see his Christmas check. It'll be that quarterly check for the royalties. It'll be in the, well, I don't know. It'll be in the six figures anyway. Is six. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm okay. <laughs>
I'm sure of that for sure. One of the, like I said, one of the best things WWE has done in 2022. Uh, mm-hmm. Definitely something that Triple H's regime can hang their hat on. One thing, one person who has kind of been divisive in the reaction that they've gotten as far as the Triple H regime, as far as booking, was former now SmackDown Women's Champion Liv Morgan. She lost the title to Ronda Rousey at Extreme Rules in an Extreme Rules match. What do you think about the decision of taking the title off of Liv Morgan? And what did you think of her reign overall? I like Liv Morgan. I like her. I think they she was she was almost put in a position of she really couldn't win that. I mean, in position with Ronda Rousey, it was like a no-win situation. And uh, you know, taking the belt off somebody that's not had it a long time. I mean, they don't keep it a long time. Uh, it can hurt them, but I don't think this will hurt Liv. It's according if, if she's going right back after after Ronda, or she, I would suggest she take some time off, let her go through some more stuff, and then pop up again, and said, "Oh, we got unfinished business." Then take it from there. That's what I would do with it. But I don't know how fans feel about it. But they had a great match. I thought. You see it? Yeah, I saw the Extreme Rules show. Overall, I would, I, I would, I would disagree. I would say they had the weakest match on the show. Ronda, I, I would say Ronda and Liv had one, uh, uh, one of the weaker matches on the show. Morely, because I don't know what you feel about it, but Liv Morgan getting offense on Ronda Rousey doesn't feel believable. I think that's the biggest issue that I've come to that the person who's who's going against Ronda has to be believable getting offense in on Ronda and if that doesn't connect I, the match doesn't work too well. They well, they brought that up when they booked it. A no rules match with Liv. It was out of her wheelhouse anyway. That's not her. But for what they did, I think they did the best they could and but it was better to put because Ronda can't lose that match. Not to Liv Morgan. I think you don't help Liv and you hurt Ronda. So put it back on Ronda and let Liv go back to climbing that ladder again because I don't think it it it, it didn't hurt her, but it kind of helped her, I guess, that she could say she was the women's champion for a while. But if Ronda had lost that, yeah, I think that would do more damage and help either one of them. So sometimes you book a match to do minimal damage. And I don't think it helped Ronda that much, but at least she gained it back and she she got back she got back her notoriety and uh, her toughness that uh, that if she'd have lost it would have been it, it went away. It won't go away forever, but it can come back, but it takes a lot of work. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So they put it back on her and we'll go from there. What would you do with Ronda next on SmackDown? There's a shooter. huh? A shooter with a gun, boom, and let her say, "Ah, that don't hurt." She just no, she just flicks it off. Go boom, get the hell out of here! Don't bother me. Well, you got you got you know you got Liv Morgan. You got the the specter of Charlotte Flair potentially returning anytime soon. There is the kind of the teases that we've seen between Ronda and Shayna Baszler, two of the MMA. Or horsewomen, you got Raquel Rodriguez now teaming with Shotzi, who's a baby face. So there's a couple of different options. Which route would you go if you were? Well, if Charlotte's coming back, you got to go that route. 
I would think. But of course, my favorite of all of them is Lacey Evans. What happened to her? She just got rode off for a while. I think her and because I like Lacey Evans, I think she's she's a believable uh, performer. Plus, she has that military background. I think a hardcore match between her and and Ronda might make a lot more sense than a hardcore match with Ronda and Liv. But I guess the only one they can go with now that's still on SmackDown is Charlotte, I would imagine. And unless they want to mix the brands and bring Bianca over or what happened to Bailey? Didn't Bailey lose her match with Bianca and they beat the crap out of the other two too? I was going to bring that up next. Uh, yeah, on the other side of the women's division in WWE's main roster, you had at Extreme Rules, Bianca Belair defeating Bailey in a ladder match, a match that Bailey chose, a match that uh, Bailey uh, had you know, damage control in her corner, Eels guy and Dakota Kai who got involved. Bianca Belair took care of both of them with a KOD and then beat Bailey with a KOD with a ladder and then climbed up the ladder to retrieve the championship. Um, I'm up to thinking I'll give my, my two cents before you go Dutch. This totally kills damage control. I would say that two months ago, I was very excited to see them, you know, come together at SummerSlam, see the return of Bailey, CEO Sky on the main roster, see the return of Dakota Kai. But they they misstepped on not giving them the championships at the end of the tournament and thinking that it would be okay that they win it back in a rematch. Cool, okay. And then they messed up here by having Bailey lose this match when you are protecting Bianca anyway because it's a ladder match. She doesn't get pinned. She doesn't get submitted. She loses. Now she has to chase damage control. It creates a new story for her. I don't know where Raw goes now with the women's division. So what do you think, Dutch? Well, they just destroyed everybody. I mean, you can't kill your opponents off. Now I can see maybe damage control getting hurt a little bit. But to beat all three of them... And that's right. That tells damage control, hey, we don't have a lot of plans for you kids going forward. So I don't know if they get that or not. They will get it when they're not booked. But I I don't understand that. I would have left something anyway. And after Bailey lost, I'd have them all get back in there and have Bailey start like pegging on her a little bit or something to give them something to come back to Raw with. Like, you know, she hits the ring on Bailey and beats the crap out of her there, and the other two run in. I would do that on TV and just let them not be beat down. But she left them laying, right? Yeah, she beat, she hit everyone on damage control with the KOD. It was very much the booking of kind of like John Cena, which I'm all for. And I think this was the strongest that they've booked Bianca since she became Raw Women's Champion at WrestleMania 38. But I'm, yeah, I don't know if I would have went this route because it felt like damage control was trying to get their momentum back that they kind of lost a little bit by not winning the women's tag tournament and they were building it back up and now they just stopped it again. Well, it's under a new regime now, so I don't know what they're thinking. But if the old regime is a is a reflection on the past that tells that uh, the damage control, they need to take a back seat 
and they're going to kind of repackage Bailey and go forward from there. Is what I think. I think her next opponent, her 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 big angle going into going forward, would be would be Charlotte Flair. And if they hadn't beat the hell out of Lacey Moore, Evans like they had, I think she would have been a great one to step up. If they just want to get her over for for Charlotte a little a little more. But anyway, it is what it is. So we can talk about it all day till the cows come home. Doesn't change the fact that that's what they did. All we can do is discuss it. Uh, we should discuss <laughs> our usual show that we talk about SmackDown as well. We finish up the topics from WWE because on SmackDown this past week, we didn't review the show, but it had a big return as well as a debut at the same time, Dutch, as Zelina Vega from Monday Night Raw, who's been out with injury for some for a couple of weeks now, returned. And she had a new look, new blonde look, and she is now aligned with Legato Del Fantasma from WWE NXT, called up Santos Escobar, Cruz Del Toro, and Joaquin Wilde coming up to the main roster, taking out Hit Row. So what do you think about Selena returning in this new faction with Legato Del Fantasma? And do you think WWE, under this new regime with Triple H, can regain some of the momentum that Selena had in her prior partnership with Andrade? Maybe. What's what's their name mean? Uh, La what? La what? Uh, Fantasma? What's her name? Well, uh, Santos Escobar comes from the Fantasma uh, family. It's a basically a, a very famous Mexican wrestling family. He's second generation. Yeah. So he, when he uh, he used to be known as uh, El Elio uh, Fantasma. And he basically, when he took off the mask, he became Santos Escobar. But he named this group that he recruited Legado del Fantasma. Basically, Legacy of Fantasma. Oh, oh Legado. Okay. Again, the jury is out on that. I like the way they introduced them. You know who I thought the mask guys were at first? Lotharios. That was my first idea. I said, well, they, they made it, at least they made it look different. So I'm not going to say yay or nay to it. I kind of like it because it's something new. And now again, it goes back to the drawing board. It goes back to the creative room. And whatever they do with these guys and Zelina, it's it's up to them, but I think she was. I, I like Vega. I like her because she's not very big, is she? She's really really short, isn't she? I'm a I'm a short person. She is also short. So oh well, I've said next one. Like the way she got in there, she didn't back off from anybody, and she worked her butt off. So she actually earned this. Let's see what she can do with it. Now with this regime now. Talent can actually go up to creative and suggest things to them. I mean, they don't have to go to Vince. They can suggest it to the agent or to the creative team. And if the creative guy likes it enough, he'll bring it up during a session. Or they can just go up to Triple H and pitch it to him. That's who it's got to be sold to ultimately anyway. It's got to be, you got to sell him on it. If he's sold on it, then they may get behind it. But anyway, I, I... I like the attempt to give us something new, and uh, will that will that angle do anything? I doubt it because nobody, uh, a top dollar, hadn't time to really get over. 
those guys, first time we saw them, the maximum male models are dead on arrivals. They beat the Lotharios like a drum. And they beat <laughs> And who who'd they beat? The, the Olympic kid and the other guy? What's what's their names? I think all the only people who hit Roll have beaten since their return is like a couple so, of jobbers. A tag team they beat was what's his name? He's the Olympic guy. Alpha I don't think they beat Alpha Academy. They wrestled Alpha Academy. They I think they were in like they, well they hadn't done anything with them, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So that that tag team division needs some work. So maybe they can start here and let's see where we go with it. Yeah, they're definitely using the Alpha Academy a lot and they're getting over because of how much they're using and just how entertaining they both are, Otis and Chad Gable. But other than that, yeah, the tag team division definitely needs some work for sure over on WWE. But I think we covered enough with WWE. Let's talk about what's been a crazy, crazy week from All Elite Wrestling. We talked about the aforementioned Andrade uh, when we talked about Selena Vega. So let's talk about everything that went down with him and Sammy Guevara last week. Starting at the beginning of the week, he had an interview with Mas Lucha where he was asked about the CM Punk the uh versus the elite backstage brawl at all out and he said that he had no you know bad and bad things to say or issues with the elite or cm punk he said he has nothing but good things to say about those guys but one guy he did have an issue with was sammy guevara they had a match earlier this year and apparently sammy had said that andrade hits too hard and andrade said it's wrestling if i hit you hard just hit me hard back that's how it works he asked him if he had any problem and sammy told him no sammy took issue with that and went to twitter and called andrade a favor higher and he told him to be grateful andrade came back and at him uh sammy took it personal uh taking it to saying that andrade only got his job because of his father-in-law rick flair and that he can uh go back to wwe if he wants to go to wwe because he can't get over there like he couldn't get over here so he couldn't get over twice so he can go to wwe and not get over a third time and then andrade said he'll see him on wednesday and apparently all the news that came out from wrestling observer as well as fightful was that andrade basically and sammy were told by aew not to fight before wednesday they were to they were told they told the company that they wouldn't do anything uh like that that they would be professional but instead andrade went to uh the hallway and waited for sammy he approached sammy turned him got uh put his hands on sammy first sammy shoved them and then andrade threw a couple of punches at him and andrade was sent home while sammy was able to stay be on aew dynamite and not only be on aew dynamite's third year anniversary he won the main event so what do you think about that crazy week with Andrade and Sandy. Hey, if I was, if if I was Nick uh, Nick Khan, if I was uh, Tony Khan, I'd have sent both of them home. I don't care who thought it was, because they were told not to do it. And hit me, and but but I heard that Sammy threw the first punch. Is what I heard. No, but but regardless of who threw it, they were talked to. Uh, we won't do nothing. We won't do nothing. And the, and the scuttlebutt I keep hearing is that uh, Andrade wants to get fired. Is that you've heard that too? Wrestling Observer Dave Meltzer on Wrestling Observer Radio reported that Andrade wants to get out of his contract, and he, he basically started the fight as an attempt to get out of it. 
even though AEW had told him he couldn't. And that's why I kind of said no when you said Sammy threw the first punch. That, that's been kind of rebunked repeatedly by multiple sources. Everybody says Andrade started the fight. There are some people that feel Sammy, since he was involved like you, he should have been sent home as well. But the main reason why he wasn't is because Sammy never threw a punch. Well, when you start reading about and 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 they have been saying for a long time that AEW has trouble backstage, and even some of them come out, no, no, no. There's and I can see that trying to cover it up, but they do have trouble backstage. Now, what's that telling you about their discipline? They don't have any at all, no discipline whatsoever. Now they got rid of what's his name who slapped. Uh, Sammy before, what was his name? They didn't get rid of Eddie Kingston. They suspended him. No, Eddie, that's what I'm saying. They suspended him, but at least he got some punishment out of it. But did they suspend him without pay or with pay? Surely they suspended him without pay because, horse, I mean, if you slap somebody, they're going to send you home and pay you too? Well, hey, that's a good gig. Slap somebody every week so you get sent home. Hey, I'm off this week because I slapped a guy. What a great strategy. But I don't know... It goes back to Tony, I think, trying to be friends with some of these guys. And it never works out because the inmates end up running the asylum. And he's got to deal with all the all the aftermath, like CM Punk doing that scrum interview. And Tony's sitting right beside him and he would say something detrimental. This that you couldn't run a Walmart or something or Circle K or whatever. And Tony agreeing with him. That's not a good look for the company. It's not a good look for Tony. It's not a good look for CM Punk. But so I think he needs to crack down. He quit trying to, to be friends with these guys, if that's what he's trying to do. I don't know what he's trying to do. But judging from that second show I saw the other night, it didn't even make sense to me. It just had a bunch of matches. Nothing really tied together. And they had that last match, and what was the guy's name? Pac. Yeah. You got to tell me the names of these guys. They <laughs> many. He was in the last match in a in a trios match. Then on, went, on rampage, and, yeah. And they tried to make you think, I guess, unless I'm wrong, that hit followed the trios match. Is yeah, that, it did. You it did. It was live. Huh? It was live. That was live. Yeah. Which was live? Uh, AEW, Rampage and Battle of the Belts. So he went back to back. Yes. Well, that didn't look like it to me. It looked like a whole different <laughs> thing. That's what it looked no, like. It wasn't. It was so, back to okay, back live. Live, let me ask you this. Why did they let him work a six-man tag and then have him turn right around and work another singles match right after that? Not more than three minutes after that. Because he's a double champion. Didn't make sense. Well, he could be a double champion. Got to defend both belts. Give him some space. Oh, I got to defend both belts. Can't back, waste time. Back, back to back. Back to back. That the, was a, the, the part that I would I would nitpick about was <laughs> him, him being being forced to do a back to back and not being booked like a baby face. He was the heel. He was he, he cheated to win both matches. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. But I, I thought that. But I did notice one thing with AEW. Some of their interviews were a lot better. They must have heard me bitching and complaining about their interviews because they released a minute I timed them. 
they were at least 90 seconds long. And now you can say something in 90 seconds. You can't say something in 40 seconds at all. If the announcer gets it in, then you say that and they wrap it up. You're, but in 90 seconds, you know, you can kind of get an interview in. So they, their interviews did get better. I will say that about them. But the match, the match, I swear to God, I, I wanted to throw a chair through my TV screen after I watched two hours of SmackDown and then two hours of Rampage. And this is, I, I, I got a, I got a, like a little ritual I follow. I don't start watching it to about 20 minutes to nine because I tape it. Then I go back <laughs> and I run through the commercials. So finally I get to like 930 quick. And then I got to maybe actually watch the matches and the interviews from there on out. And I can't do that with AEW because we got to do the show. So I actually have to watch that whole show. So I wanted to put a chair through my TV screen and I wanted to call up Tony Khan. I said, Tony, you're killing me, brother. You can give me something so I can say something positive about your show. But apparently he hasn't so far. And I used to like AEW. I liked the way they started off. But lately, I think he's got too much. Too much on the slate. To book two hours of a live show, that's a lot of work. We booked two hours when I was in TNA, and it took us like two days at least to figure out the ins and outs and the commercial breaks and the placement. I don't know how he finds time. He's, he booked four hours this week, right, or five? Four hours. He booked five hours, four hours by himself. Now, I used to do that in Puerto Rico, but it was on it was on different nights. I used to do that. But I, I didn't. But we do our taping on a Saturday night. Then we take all the matches, and then we split them up. Then I had enough for a Sunday show. But then I do a little bit of out-of-the-studio deals, too, just to entertain myself. But, see, an a book, old booker told me one time, when you start booking, book something that you actually enjoy yourself. And it was great advice because now if I didn't like anything else I had to book, I'd put my favorite out there and I would play with it. Like, you know, like little toys, like in a castle or something. And it would always be funny and cute. And, but I enjoyed it. And the people enjoyed it because it wasn't deep and it was good and stupid. So they liked it. Not a lot of heat to it, but just, I mean, kids could watch it. Anybody could watch it. But I did it for myself. <coughs> and it actually saved my mental state a lot of times. I got my little dog. He won't leave me alone. <laughs> we we did bring up when we were talking about the Andrade whole backstage situation. Um you know, the CM Punk all out situation that kind of has kind of brought this whole era of AEW kind of, you can see it kind of trembling or the cracks kind of within. But now we hear from Wrestling Observer Newsletter that the investigation into the all out situation has stalled or been delayed due to one person not being cooperative and threatening legal action. So I got to <laughs> ask you, Dutch. Who, who do, do you think? think? Who do who you think, think that one person is? They don't, who they, do you think? Who they, do don't, you, they don't want us to record to find out what I who I think. They want to know else, who you who, think. Who else could it be? It's got to be Punk. I mean, why would the Bucks not cooperate 
and they wanted to seek legal action, they'd be suing themselves. Why would, why would Omega, same thing, why would he seek legal action? He'd be suing himself. <coughs> CM Punk's a lot of things stupid he's not. So he sees, he sits back and he let it be known that, you know, he, he, he threatened to sue WWE and the doctor and he did sue them, right? And he, he was going to sue the other guy. I forgot his, I can't remember names tonight anyway. Coke, he, he was going to sue him because he's no stranger to lawyers and attorney's offices. So the only one who's in, what did I say four weeks ago? Punk's going to sue. Did I say that? Because he sees Tony Khan sitting over there. What's Tony Khan worth? Oh, like $2 billion or a billion dollars. Oh, I'll sue him. And before it goes too far, he'll make a settlement. And then I'll just walk out of here. And with another $5 million or whatever it is, and I'll just, I'll just go home and, and sit back. Another thing, Meltzer, if he's going to report the news, why don't he report the news? He said there is one person who is threatening legal action, yet he didn't say who that one person was. And he's got to know who it is. So is it illegal? He might be afraid he'll get sued. That's why he didn't do it. <clears throat> but it's got to be CM Punk because all the fingers point yeah, to CM Punk. Don't you think? I mean, yeah, based on the history of what we know of this situation, it would make the most sense if it's CM Punk. He still is another option in this whole situation because he could very easily be the scapegoat in this whole situation. And he didn't really start the fight. And he can be threatening legal action because his wife was in the room and she was hurt. So they can he can make AEW liable for her injury and stuff. Oh, so yeah. Ace, Ace Steel is another good option. But I 100% agree with you. I don't think I think it's like a slim chance, 1% chance it's anyone from the elite. <laughs> and see what makes the elite and Omega guilty. They came to hit to his room. I would say I would say the only thing they probably did wrong in this situation from what we've known of the details is they didn't really listen to what CM Punk said. They heard from another party that CM Punk said something about them and said, come see him. CM Punk, I don't think they're wrong for coming to see CM Punk because CM Punk said, if you have a problem with me, come see me. And they didn't even come to him like by themselves or kicking the door down like they originally said. Now we know they went to the door with the legal officer. So if you're the EVPs of the company and one of your top stars just called you out on a post media scrum and said, come see you, I would go see you too. But they should have listened to what he actually said to find out where he was and know that it's not the right time to go see him. So they went to his room allegedly to talk to him, but didn't know what he said. He, they just heard it second secondhand account, right? And they brought the legal officer with them, which is okay. But they come to his room, three of them. He's by himself, I guess. May, I still was in there. But it looked like they were going to team up. Were they yelling when they come through? <clears throat> Did you hear? From everything I've heard, is just it sounded like 
where Punk was at. It's all about where Punk was at mentally and just them coming to the door. Basically, he felt threatened by it. Okay, it should be the first televised pay-per-view wrestler's court. It would draw. It, it really would. It would really draw. I would volunteer to be the judge, and we put up a jury of his peers, and we could see. We could see who's guilty and who's not. Or it could be left down to a judge's decision. They could opt for that, too, just a judge rule on it. Dutch uh, Judge Dutch Mantel. Yes, that's it. I would rule like a son of a bitch. Boom, 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 boom. You go to go to pay him some money. Let's go. Get out of here. That's what I do. You sound, you're, you, you sound like you're going in the punk favor in this case. Well, I think he went out there and it was entertaining. And people said, well, that's a work. Then it turned out it wasn't work. Then the Andrade thing and... <laughs> And the Sammy stuff, oh, that's a work. Wait a minute. They're working themselves into a shoot, which they did. They worked themselves, they're going to work themselves into a lawsuit. So, Tony, I just want to tell you, buddy, welcome to the wrestling business. Think the world is crazy. Get inside this business a little bit. And deal with some of these egos. See, when you go into a dressing room, there's like, if there's 20 guys in there, you got 23 egos. Because some of those guys have egos enough for two guys. I mean, and that's what you're dealing with. So unless you know what you're dealing with and you people walk in blind, you're going to find out quick enough. And I, I've, I've been there a lot of times, and I've, I've seen it from a distance, and I've been involved in it. So I know exactly how it works. Uh, so what else can we talk about? What else we can, can we knock well, there's two more notes from AEW, and it's more on the good news side. We have to get the bad news out the way. One of the good news is that Soraya, she has been uh, cleared by the AEW doctor, Dr. Uh, Sampson, to wrestle. So what do you think? Wait a minute, Dr. Sampson? Yeah. Wasn't that the same woman who cleared Punk? Cleared, yeah. in w, is that the same guy that was in WWE? No, no. Well, he was he was in WWE. He's most known for his work in WWE. He was the one that saved Jerry King Lawler when he had his heart attack in 2012. Well, same guy, but he wasn't. No, the one. no, he wasn't the one that had the clearance with Punk. That was Doctor Ammon. Doctor Who? Ammon. Chris Ammon. I know him. Okay, I got it. Okay, so so she got a clearance to wrestle. Now she has a bad neck, correct? See, they had to get that clearance before she could. I thought they'd have to have that clearance before she could even step into the ring, which they may they may have. They may have had the clearance, <clears throat> but I hope she doesn't get hurt. I hope she's good enough to go. But so if she gets hurt from here on out, I mean, it's not on Tony. At least he got that cleared up. I hope. Because he could not let her in that ring without a clearance. Because I'd almost, if you handed that to a lawyer, she got hurt, but she didn't have a clearance. Well, ain't no need to even try this. Let's just mediate it off the bat. Let's go. We'll save us a bunch of time. So, but I hope she made the right decision 
And I think if they handle her right, because she was over in WWE, big time. So I think they could get her over here. But again, I would say creative, <clears throat> but Tony doesn't have a creative. Well, well, actually, another report that came out this week with Wrestling Observer Newsletter, they said that Tony Khan does actually have a creative team. Uh, he works with QT Marshall as far as formatting the show, and he uses a number of people backstage to kind of filter ideas from Pat Buck to QT Marshall, uh, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega when they were around, as well as... Um, other people, top stars like Brian Danielson, John Moxley, Chris Jericho. But they're mostly handling their own stuff. Correct? Yeah. Yeah. But but that does bring us to that does bring us to the last kind of big point or big news point from AEW. It seems like John Moxley's taking on more roles in AEW. He just signed a five-year extension with the company that will see him with All Elite Wrestling until 2027. He has also uh, picked up responsibilities as far as mentoring and coaching of talent in AEW. So this is kind of a big coup for AEW to retain someone like that. And I don't know if if it's any correlation, but I'm just going to throw this in as well because Fightful Select reported over this weekend that WWE went out of their Oh, First, it was actually Gimme Sports. Louis Dan Gore reported that WWE attempted to bring back Renee Paquette, the wife of John Moxley, uh, back to the company. She was known as Renee Young, but she turned them down. And then Fightful Select reported that WWE sources say that they believe Renee Paquette is on her way to All Elite Wrestling. So coincidence or not, in the same week that Moxley signs a five-year extension, we get the news that Renee Paquette may be on her way to AEW. Well, I'll say one thing. She knows how to conduct an interview. She knows that. She's very professional. <clears throat> and she could help them in those, those interviews. I could help them, too. I'd say, get you a better setting than what you got. It looks like, like I swear to God, it looks like they're standing in a damn Amazon warehouse over in the corner with like a, a little bitty, like a hundred watt bulb over their head. That's what it looks like. And if it looks cheap and cheaply, because the, the shell looks good. I mean, and I would change that announcing. There would be a lot of things I'd change, but it's cosmetic. The wrestling's good. They just need some good angles and kind of spruce the show up a little bit. But Renee would be a good choice for them. And that would be a really big pickup for that family he signed a five-year deal, and she goes in. Hell, they'd be making a ton of money then. I don't know what WWE was paying them, but I, I think he made a ton over there too, and she did too. So, but I like Renee. Good, good person. Funny. She kind of liked my humor. <laughs> good. They're good people. They really are. And one more note, since we're talking about John Moxley, and in my opinion, John Moxley's the 2022 Wrestler of the Year so far. We got two months left of the year, and I don't know if anybody's going to change that. And, but in, I, I think it's a no argument, regardless of how you feel about John Moxley. You've had your criticism of him before. He has definitely elevated his star power by going to AEW, and he feels like he is the guy in AEW. And the question of the guy came up in 
in a recent interview with WWE Seth Rollins with Ariel Awani, where he talked about he never has felt like he was the guy in any part of his career, whether it was his time in Ring of Honor, there was always Brian Danielson and Nigel McGuinness, and now in his time in WWE in the first half, it was John Cena, but he's always felt like Roman was higher than him. He's never been that guy. He said the best he can do is be the edge to his Cena, the Savage to his Hogan, the Triple H to his Rock, all of those things. But on the other hand, when you look at the members of the Shield, Moxley was has kind of been able to either get closer to the status of where Roman Reigns is at, or at least be the number one for a promotion by leaving. Where do you where do you see where the Shield members are at today, present day? John Moxley, Seth Rollins, and Roman Reigns. Well, neither Moxley or Seth. They're going to get past Reigns. I mean, that was a decision made three years ago when they started pushing Roman. That was a Vince decision. He, he wanted to go with him. Wet dog. I'm going to have to kill my dog here. But uh, not really kill him, you know, just not threaten him. Oh, I can say that. People know I'm not serious. Uh, but Moxley is in the best position he can be in right now. Because he would never get this chance. He would be lower than Seth if he was in WWE. And probably he may have got his release, is the way I see it. Moxley is not a, a politician, I don't think. And I don't think Roman is either, but Roman's heritage kind of catapulted him into that position. Uh, Seth may be a little bit, but... Vince just liked those guys. He liked them as the shield. And but the one who's did the best, of course, is 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 Roman. And then Seth, he can if he can say that I never felt like I was the number one guy. Well, the reason he felt that way was because he was never the number one guy. But if Moxley had been there, he'd be underneath Seth. So he could say, I never felt like I was the number one guy. Or, I never felt like I was the number two guy either. So I'm way out in the cold. So Moxley made the best decision he could make is by going to AEW. And yeah, he is he is one of the guys that's most respected over there. Because I saw his one loss record. I did see that on the show. He was like 53 and five or something. So if he's won 53 matches and only lost five, that's a pretty good record. So, yeah, he, he, he made the best decision he can make is by going to uh, AEW. So let me ask you this. This is just out of curiosity. What's the pay scale in AEW? Uh, he's he's making probably six figures. If he's not, if he's he's probably not at the echelon of what like Roman or Brock is making, but he's making what the other top guys in WWE is probably making, like uh, a Seth, a Becky, uh, Charlotte. He's around what their pay scale would be. And what would they be making? Uh, anywhere, any anywhere between one to two million, is what I've heard. Well. If you can make one to two million and do a, a couple of TVs a week, that's one hell of a deal. And you don't have to travel and go everywhere in God's creative, I mean, in, in, in the world. You don't have to make all those trips 
and you're only gone two days a week, what a deal. That That's a great deal. So. Making healthy six figures, maybe just below a million. I don't know, but I'll take it. Yeah, but I'll take it. <laughs> that uh, is that including the royalties? I think that includes that too. Maybe, yeah, probably don't. I think royalties so. are part of how they're paid. Yeah. So anyway, they're, but, they're good. I think that is everything we needed to touch on. We even got a little bit of a shield reminiscing as we we're about in, I think, yeah, next month makes 10 years since the sheet, the shield debut. So you got a little bit of that on this edition of smack talk Dutch, anything you want to add on or any final thoughts, any final words about anything we discussed or anything you want to plug? No. Uh, the reason Rick is not with us, he is, you know, still, grieving the loss of his mother and my condolences to that family. And if anybody wants to get in contact with me, this dirty Dutch mantel with two L's at gmail.com. Write me about anything. Sometimes I may send, just send you a thumbs up, but I'll, I'll send you, I'll, I will acknowledge you as Roman says. And that's about it. I, enjoy, I wish we could have done this Friday, but we ran out of time. And if we'd have went live at 12 o'clock, they ain't nobody going to be up listening to it anyway. They'd have to play it back or something. But I, I'm glad. I don't mind doing it doing it this way. But sometimes you lose the spur of the moment. But but it's good. Uh, I don't. I, I think we brought everything up. What do you want to say? Oh, nothing really. We need, we need to talk about who we hate one time. Like I said, I hate this guy. And I hate this guy. That's what people want to hear. Who do you the, hate, Dutch? Who do you hate? I don't hate nobody. I don't have really. I, I, I seriously don't. I dislike a few people. I don't want to be around them, but but I I, res, I still respect them. But I mean, <laughs> it's like wrestlers getting together talking about me. Oh, I hate that bastard. I hate this guy. No, you don't really hate him. You just don't like him. No, I hate him. I, and and congratulations to you because you had the the date the premiere of Tales from the Territories talking about Memphis wrestling. You Jeff Jarrett, Jerry the King Lawler, Jimmy Hart, Jerry Jarrett, uh, all star cast that you had here. How did you think it turned out being oh, a part I, of it? It, it? Well, a show like that, I told the guy who put it together, who whose idea it was, Evan Husley. I told him, I says. This is in the first one. You know, I was on the first show as the narrator. Then I got kind of screwed the last couple because I wasn't a Canadian citizen. So they couldn't use me since Bias is a Canadian company. <laughs> but I told him, I said, you got a hit here with this. He said, well, how do you know? I said, I know. I know wrestling fans. And what you're going to get here is all the old fans who want to see what wrestling used to be and all the new fans who want to learn more about it. So you can't miss with this show. And it's not wrestling, it's stories. And stories sometimes, you know, what's he saying about stories? Don't let facts and stuff get in the way of a good story. Just make make the story and tell it the way you want to tell it. But it was a good show. Very, I, I've got a lot, a lot of messages about how people enjoyed the show. And I will say one thing about Memphis. It was ahead of its time. I think the first music video actually started or the music video craze actually kind of started in Memphis. Because a lot of people don't bring that up. And it used to have such a tremendous rating on Saturday morning. Like 70% of all the televisions in use were all watching wrestling. And I've had people said, well, they set their clock by the wrestling show. 
it came on at 11 o'clock in the morning. And I've had guys tell me, a farmer, he stopped his tractor at 10 minutes to 11 so he could go back to the house and watch wrestling. And then when wrestling's over, he'd go up and plow the rest of his field. I, they've told me that. And a truck driver would say, I wouldn't leave him on a trip to wrestling was over, then I'd go. Uh, he said, I based it around wrestling. So I guess Memphis is a city of then maybe 300,000, maybe, metro area. And uh, the area was probably a million and a half, I guess, you know, the, the range of the TV. But we would have five or 600,000 people watching that show. And that is a hell of that was, it, it, it did primetime numbers. It did the same numbers as, you know, all the the primetime shows that we're doing back in the day, Archie Barker and all that stuff. It would do the same number on Saturday morning at 11 o'clock that Archie Barker was doing. Unbelievable. See, we were, we were over and didn't even know it. We didn't know how over we were, to tell you the truth. The TV station did because they saw the numbers. But the wrestlers, we didn't know. Lawler knew, but we didn't because <laughs> we never saw the numbers. <laughs> but thank you very much. It's a very enjoyable show. And uh, I think it played again last Friday. And then the new show comes on. Is it is it Tuesday? Uh, yeah, I believe it's dropping on Tuesdays at the regular uh, Dark Side of the Ring spot. And uh, on Tuesday, we, we cover, we did actually two shows. We, we cover the Andy Kaufman, Jerry Lawler feud. Yes. That should be a really good one. I'm looking forward to that one. And I found out something that I never knew before. After all these years, I actually went out of my way not to know the finish of Laura Kaufman because I wanted to watch it as a true died, a true fan. Don't tell me, just let me watch it. And then I found out that Lawler and Kaufman, they didn't even know what the finish was. They would go out there and listen to the people, and they would do what they wanted to do. And the night they took him out in the ambulance, they tell that story. But Kaufman made it up on the, on, on the spur of the moment. Wow. They told him to get up. He said, he said he's not getting up. He wants an ambulance. And they said, we ain't paying for a damn ambulance. And, they said, and Kaufman said, I'll pay for it. They said, well, okay, call the ambulance. <laughs> and they called the ambulance, and you see it. And the people were throwing things on Kaufman. They hated Kaufman. And you see an old classic picture of Jim Cornette trying to take pictures. You've seen that, I guess. And he, I didn't know this. He actually went to the hospital for three days and sold the injury. And then he put on the neck brace and walked around. Now, that's dedication. <laughs> that's dedication to the art. And I, and I, and I didn't know it then, but I've, I've told Lawler since then that when he gave him the power driver, he had cancer then and didn't know it. And then he died about a year later. So it's crazy. When thinking back on that, I went, damn, that's what, when I figured that out, I said, hell, he was sick when I knew him and didn't, I thought he looked awfully pale all the time. He was tremendously pale and he never looked healthy at all. And, and when he would sit in the dressing room, because he was a big star to us, but he didn't comport himself as a big star. He looked at us like we were big stars. And he respected us, I think, more than we respected him. 
<laughs> and what he loved wrestling about, when he would work comedy clubs, the big comedy clubs, they may have 200 people. I mean, a big one is 300. That's a big club. But he could go out in the Mid-South Coliseum in front of 11,000 people and play to them. He loved that. And he finally found something he loved to do. And and he did it. Do a lot of money. And and you know that that uh, a lot of slapping Kaufman was one of the most, it was in the top 100 of top TV moments in the past. Wow. Crazy, huh? <laughs> and that really, it, it really helped Memphis. It really brought Memphis out of the kind of the dark ages. Yeah. Because people told me when they heard about Memphis and all that going on, they didn't even know Memphis wrestling existed. See, somebody in New York or up, up in the Northeast, unless you read the magazines, you wouldn't know. <coughs> so, but anyway, it, this week on Tuesday night, I think it's at 9 o'clock Eastern time. Yeah. Uh, I think you'll see another great show. Check it out, Dutch Mantel, over on Tales from the Territories. You will see me back here on the Sports Keto Wrestling YouTube channel with Dutch Mantel on Smack Talk next Friday. Shout out to Rick Uchino. Uh, you know, prayers, thoughts, love, and support to his friend, to his uh family, as well as everyone around him. Definitely shout out to Rick, and he is missed, but we will miss you until next Friday. For Dutch Mantel, it is me, it is me, your true Phenom SP3, and that has been Smack Talk.